Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, special effects artist and birthday boy, and it's I'm joined as ever by my lovely co-host. Sam Ashurst, I'm a writer, I'm a director, and I'm here to wish a very happy birthday to Dan. We're recording a double episode on his very birthday, which is uh, above and beyond the call of duty. Um, thank you, Dan. And yeah, we're here to talk about two Bruce Lee movies, starting with The Big Boss, which was Dan's choice. Dan, why did you decide to go for The Big Boss? I'll tell you why I chose went to go for The Big Boss, Sam. It's because I haven't watched a Bruce Lee film other than Enter the Dragon for over 20 years, and they've all bled together, and it was basically flipping a coin. Yeah, I'm exactly the same in exactly the same boat. So watching The Big Boss was almost like watching a new film, even though I did see it when I was, what, 13, 14, something like that. I believe it was on a Channel 4. It was on the TV the first time I saw this one. So it has been a real long time since I watched it. And you did have a good reason to choose this because it is his first film. It is his introduction. So it is an important one to talk about on those terms. But yeah. As for how I felt about the film as a whole, we're going to get on to that. But before we do that, what is the plot of The Big Boss? Bruce Lee plays uh, an out-of-towner who comes to get a job in a an ice factory, which it took like a good portion of the beginning of this film was uh, me hypothesising on how they make ice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't look it up. I like to I like my guess where he uh, is working with a bunch of his cousins and while he's there a a sort of peculiar quasi slasher narrative slash workers manifesto unfolds around him as he realizes other members of the uh, workforce including some of his relatives are disappearing and maybe there is something untoward going on with those small white packets that are visible in some of the blocks of ice it starts with a fantastic fantastic opening credit sequence and from the opening seconds you assume you're in great hands though that is the most exciting bit of bruce lee action for a very long time in this movie it's not necessarily what you'd expect from bruce lee's debut if you've never seen it before he takes a very long time to get into the action there are plot reasons for it of course but you just think why (laughs) why introduce this plot element and just hold him back for so long especially as the reasons for it aren't really properly explained in the movie it's just alluded to he's he's made a promise to his mum but we don't find out why i felt like and again, maybe this is benefiting from from the hindsight, you know, having absorbed of many of this uh, this sort of genre as we have. But I felt that the the trope of I promise never to use my my fighting skills for fighting, mm-hmm. and, until plot the plot demands that I have is so standardized now that I just I just was like, yeah, fine, I get that. Right, he's done a promise. He's done a promise and that jade necklace is is very significant. You're right. All we need to know, he's made a promise not to fight. So he's just going to stand and kind of grimace for a bit. And there, there is a, a production reason for it. James Tien was intended as the star. And I think he'd made like 20 movies up until this point. And so he gets the dragon share of the fighting right up until the final act. And so it's more of a passing of the baton though Lee's screen presence and charisma is really, really obvious. The movie lights up whenever he's on screen and you really miss him when he's not. There's fun stuff here, especially when Lee does get going uh, and it becomes more cartoony. 
though Bruce Lee didn't like a lot of that stuff. He fought against it, especially the moment involving an outline in a wooden wall, um, which, <laughs> which I do understand. It's very silly, but it's also one of the more memorable moments in this movie. It's one of the, the parts that actually kind of makes it stand out a little bit. Um, other than that, I'm very sorry to say I found the big boss a little bit kind of generic and slow. Um, though I did watch the original cut, not the Mandarin cut. Which version did you see? I watched the Mandarin cut, but then I, I knew you would. The, but I watched the audio commentary, which was on the yeah, uh, only one of the audio commentaries, which was on the on the shorter cut. So I saw both. Yeah, it was interesting. A lot of like a couple of bits that were cut out were like, why would they cut that out? It was very cool. But um, people who uh, who sort of know about this film uh it's it's quite famously sort of embroiled in in having been cut very heavily before its initial release like there's still a lot of footage that's fully lost arrow have done a fantastic job of reinserting a bunch of previously missing scenes a lot of the stuff that's still lost and some of the stuff that was reinstated was was violent and was cut out for for censorship reasons but some of the stuff and some of the stuff was just long like was basically just characters telling each other about things that the audience had just watched so it was cut for runtime because it is a little long but there were also some fun little like stunty bits there's a bit where bruce uh, and one of his cousins get caught at the bottom of a, in like an alleyway that's at the bottom of two little hills and some bad guys roll carts at them and they just jump up in the air to avoid the carts and the carts smash together between oh, cool. them as they as they land on the wall and then they like get off the wall and, and go home and it's fine and it's like a, it's a nice little moment it's it's not violent so it doesn't need to have been cut for censorship but it's cooler than a lot of the chat that they left in it's also interesting like one of the things that i liked about it because it's it, you know, it was made bang in the middle of the Cultural Revolution uh, in China. So Bruce was already an American citizen by this point. So he's grown yeah. up in America pretty much. Like he, I think on one of the various commentaries, they said that he considered English his first language by this point in his life. So that kind of like indicates what he felt like nationally. So he's gone back to China. This film was released in Mandarin. I was watching the Mandarin cut. Bruce didn't speak Mandarin. So he's dubbed right. in Mandarin in this movie. He's ostensibly a foreigner in this but he's come back to china which is undergoing the cultural revolution which is basically purging the ideologies of capitalism from popular media and we have this movie that feels like a very gentle edging towards like communism as a as a manifesto absolutely um and and it does it softly softly enough that i'm fully on board the ideal of not communism so much but socialism i'm i'm pretty fully on board with and a lot of this like the corrupt boss exploiting the workers seeing them as disposable assets that he can sort of manipulate and throw away because you know and 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 so much of it is like the bits where it gets a little clunkier there's a lot about like oh it's impossible to make a living over there now and you know business is so difficult and everyone's struggling financially and it's in you know in the world of the the filmmakers at the time that's meant to be because they're under the shadow of capitalism as it as it exists and is slowly being eradicated in china at this time but but what it comes across as now is really just this sort of like pantomime bad capitalist villain like this money-grubbing corrupt boss who i think is a very uh, relatable character to a lot of people nowadays raymond chow the producer he was basically tempting bruce lee away from shaw studios by making this film yeah chow had been involved with the shaws and i think he felt a little bit betrayed by them and so um Shaw Studios were in negotiations with Bruce Lee and yeah I wonder if perhaps that was part of the appeal because one of the key elements of Bruce Lee uh, was his intelligence and 
was the way he always thought of the bigger picture. He was very much focused on his kind of legacy as he was creating it. And so he analyzed other kind of big stars and what they did. And he looked at the way that Clint Eastwood went to Italy and built a, a, a success there before returning to America, a kind of superstar. And so that's what he was doing. You know, he saw himself as an American and, and he's like, well, I can go to Hong Kong. That's a foreign market. I can build my my reputation there and come back. And that's exactly what he did. The disconnect, the dissonance between the sort of moral presence of the story and the fact that really it was a capitalist stepping stone for Lee. Um, right. Is, yeah. is not un- it's not unamusing. <laughs> the thing is, it's a slightly sloppy film, but yeah. it's it's important enough and it has enough of interest in it, particularly, yeah, not just as, a, as, as Lee's first outing, but also, like, it's got moments of surprising violence, it's got, uh, like, genre bendy like tonality throughout it that can surprise you there's a there's a few jokes that maybe if they were in a comedy wouldn't land but because they catch you by surprise are actually pretty like oh my god like you know startle funny and without spoiling it i absolutely love the ending fans of shaw brothers out there will be very familiar with that sensation of a huge fight and then just like shaw brothers logo get out yes <laughs> and this does like its version of that in a way that I found very, very satisfying. Yeah, it's excellent. It really is excellent. Yeah, last half an hour of this movie is worth recommending on its own. Um, I found the first hour or so quite challenging to get through, but the the final 30 minutes are really are excellent. Um, we should talk about the extras because there are um, some really cool ones on this disc. Which of the two commentaries did you watch? Uh, I listened to uh, the Brandon Bentley commentary, which is very good. He's a very a very knowledgeable chap, and he actually talks across uh, a bunch of the other extra features as well. So he's sort of all across this. The because because of the different versions, there's a couple of different discs for Big Boss. And he's uh, he's across the extras on both discs. I actually listened to both commentaries. Brandon Bentley's this is his second commentary for the Big Boss that he's he's recorded in his career, and he actually used the opportunity to correct previous mistakes in that earlier commentary, um, which is a, a unique decision, but I think honourable to a certain extent because he didn't have to highlight the fact that he'd made mistakes and kind of correct them. So yeah, I found it. A, the commentary as a whole a tiny bit cheesy but as you yeah, say very, yeah. very 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 knowledgeable and he speaks very fast and he fits a lot of information in for me i i preferred the the one by david dessa i preferred the pacing it's a little bit slower and and kind of cooler he talks about seeing it for the first time in its initial u.s release in times square to kind of set the scene which is pretty badass and there's just as many facts but they're more kind of carefully and clearly laid out so yeah i i really really love this commentary i no, no shade to brandon i i did enjoy his commentary but this one i actually just loved dessa's new york accent kind of makes it feel like sitting with a scorsese character listening to him taking you through the production of the movie so yeah really great extra i liked it a lot did you watch anything else on this disc um yeah so i watched another one of bentley's things so he did a there's a a mini featurette video essay thing called Not Quite Biggest Boss, which is examining the still missing footage that has yes. not been tracked down. That was great, actually, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed that. And, and, and it definitely answered my big question, which is why have we still not seen someone get a sore in their head? I know. Uh, it's something Very I think about every day. 
Yeah, but you know too. what? That just means that we've got another Bruce Lee uh, box set in our future, I guess. Heck yeah, heck yeah. And this, you know, let's quickly touch upon uh, the box set itself. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. The cover art is glorious. Some of the best art Arrow's ever done. Um, and there's a really lovely hardback book that comes with the movies that includes some writing by Walter Chaw, who's one of my favourite writers. We've talked about him on the podcast before. So glad to see Walter's writing. And it's as kind of honest and as uh, analytical as ever. He hasn't sold out because he's uh, creating something for a, a company. Um, there's some criticism in there as well as the praise. It's a beautiful read. So I uh, really recommend checking out the book. That's not always something that one does when you get a box set like this, but the book is worth spending some time with. So really yeah. glad that Arrow included that. Yeah, do you have anything to say about the, the box set itself? Um, I mean, it's it's huge. It's very, very packed. I don't think I'd realised quite how many discs were in there when... Right. Uh, when, when we sort of sit first said we were going to talk about this it's really dense it's really thorough like you said the book's really good it's a really easy read very accessible it's it's just a really nice solid piece yeah very pretty very very pretty all right well let's move on to recommendations based on the big boss dan why don't you go first i'm going to mention two films but i'm really recommending the second film in a series of films so I'm, i'll mention the first one for context but so there's a 1974 film by chia hung ke uh, whose name I've probably mispronounced, uh, called Tea House. And there was a sequel to it in 75 in the following year, both very successful, called Big Brother Cheng. Both Shaw Brothers pictures. Tea House has some slightly supernatural elements in it, which is one of the reasons it sort of is eked out in favour of its sequel. They're both fantastic, sort of like grittier crime dramas, like action films from, from the Shaw Brothers. And there's there's some similarities between big brother cheng and big boss although i would say big brother cheng is possibly a little more adept from a directing standpoint and a, and a, yeah, maybe a bit more violent but it's really really fun um i feel like it's one of the one of one of the ones that still remains a bit less seen because a lot of the waxier title let you know, the unwaxier titles the non-waxier titles are a little less seen uh, there is a celestial dvd of it floating around but i'm hoping that it'll get picked up on one of the upcoming blu-ray boxes if it isn't out already on one of the american ones which i haven't been keeping enough attention on yeah those those new what is it Shaw brother classics yeah. sets that are being released right now i think they're already up to number three which is out later this year so it might be in there but i haven't seen it in there so um yeah. and funnily enough dan my first recommendation is also going to be a Shaw brothers movie of course, um, I think there's going to be a lot of Shaw on this two episodes <laughs> uh, well this is basically the first major martial arts movie to be released in the states it came ahead of the big boss uh, even though it was made later and it paved the way for Kung Fu cinema in America. It is Five Fingers of Death. For me, it's the better movie. It's better than The Big Boss. Though I am biased, I do prefer Shaw Brothers stuff to Golden Harvest, even though this is Bruce Lee at Golden Harvest box set. And I love <laughs> uh, several of the movies on, on this. But yeah, for me, the action feels more consistent and exciting in Five Fingers of Death. And, you know, Big Boss was Golden Harvest's first martial arts movie, and they're still working out the ingredients, whereas Shaw Brothers were deep into their uh, kung fu stuff by this point. And yeah, Five Fingers of Death remains one of their very, very best even now. So huge recommendation. It's one that people have a lot of nostalgia for. It's an incredible, incredible picture. So yeah, Five Fingers of Death, 
first for me. What's second for you, Dan? Second for me is another Golden Harvest picture from a few years later, 1980. It's Battle Creek Brawl. Oh. So it's starring Jackie Chan, although the poster says it stars Jose Ferrer. It's another, like, slightly out of their place, going their way through fighting, uh, reluctant to fight. A little bit more overt comedy in the because, of course, it's a, it's a young Jackie Chan. It's got an absolutely astonishing Lalo Schifrin soundtrack. I saw it when I was quite young. I think I probably saw it around about the same time that I saw Big Boss. And it's always been one of those, uh, one of the Golden Harvest titles that's been closest to me, like fondest to me. Next up from me, Gina from 1975. Now, this is a crazy recommendation based on this film. It's not Wuxia, it's not martial arts, it's not Kung Fu, it's actually Rape Revenge. But the Big Boss mixes genres. It's a martial arts thriller and a political exploration of the plight of ice factory workers. And Gina is a rape revenge movie that feels like a documentary about the exploitation of textile workers for the first two acts. Um, It's kind of bizarre. It's basically a hangout movie where a dancer is sent to a bar in the middle of a snowy wasteland by her pimp to strip for the local workers. And she gets there at the same time as a bunch of dorky documentary filmmakers. And they hang out, play pool, shoot the shit. And we actually see the filmmakers making their documentary. And that's where it goes into kind of like this faux documentary style with talking head interviews and shots of the factory. It's really, really great. But the the rape and revenge elements all occur in the last 30 minutes. So much like The Big Boss delivers its Bruce Lee movie elements In the last 30 minutes, Gina does the same thing. And I really, really loved this movie. It was a complete surprise to me. I'd never heard of it before. Um, I rented it from Movie Madness just based on the cover. And Vinegar Syndrome uh, put it out on Blu-ray. So it is still available. And there really is some spectacular stuff in the third act, including a car chase I'll never forget in a moment that may or may not have been lifted for the recent Batman movie starring Robert Pattinson. That car chase is insane. It's so, so good. So yeah, major recommendation for Gina from 1975, but based purely on the structure of the movie and the way it brings two supposedly disparate things together in a way that really, really works. Nice. Have you seen Gina, Dan? I have not, no. I think you'd love it. I really think you'd love it. All right, should we move on to recommendations based on the past couple of weeks or do you have any final thoughts? I have a conspiracy theory uh, about Bruce Lee before we move on from this particular section of the podcast. Sweet Um, Lord. I had genuinely thought that this might come up in some of the extra features and I didn't watch both audio commentaries on this. So maybe, maybe this is something that you've had explained to you by an academic already. So we both know that Bruce Lee was dissatisfied with his treatment in the States, uh, yep. that he was not being taken as seriously, that he wasn't getting leading roles. He came over to Hong Kong, uh, to China to make a name for himself. He was being wooed by Shaw Brothers. I mean, they were an obvious choice for him. They were still the big dominant studio at that point. But uh, an ex-Shaw employee was setting up their own studio in the form of Golden Harvest. And Bruce Lee was a big get for them. Like, they managed to get Bruce Lee. And I think we know that the reason that Bruce Lee walked away from the Shaw Brothers deal was that they didn't offer him enough money. Absolutely, yeah. Do we think that Golden Harvest, a new company, was able to offer more money than the Shaw Brothers with all of their resources? Or do we think that he got a Marlon Brando and Superman type deal where he was paid per fight? And that explains the structure of the film. Holy shit. 
Yes. I think that's probably right. Oh my god. Yeah, but he's he's given a starring role mm-hmm. and the promise that he will be able to say he has been paid more per fight than any other action star in the history of China. Wow. They still get to keep a comparatively low rate for him because he is only in a couple of fights, but he gets to walk away like Brando did with paid per line in Superman. That- Very interesting theory. I like that a lot. It, it isn't brought up on the commentaries. Their reasoning behind it is that James Tian was a bigger star and he was given so many fights as a kind of apology for not being top billed, which didn't actually ring true to me. So I, I think I prefer your, your, uh, your theory better. And of course, this was a hugely successful movie it was an insane success for golden harvest it was the biggest box office uh success in hong kong in 1971 beating the sound of music which was released in that territory that year but obviously better things were to come for lee as his control grew his movies got better and even more successful but we will get to that in the next episode let's move on to recommendations based on the past couple of weeks and i think i'm gonna go first why not after your conspiracy theory um, i'm gonna talk about a film that i think you would really love dan very short it's only i think 58 minutes maybe 55 Mm. to 58 minutes and it's called slaughter day Uh, now i don't know what company released this blu-ray but it is absolutely hideous quality It's a straight-up VHS rip (laughs) with literally no remastering, literally none, Dan. And the sound is even worse. It's unbearable in places, really tinny and awful and just really unpleasant to listen to. But (laughs) I can't not recommend Saw today, which my friend Peter from Hollywood Babylon showed to me, Shay, and a bunch of movie melt folk at the weekend in his shop. Because, yeah, Slaughter Day is absolutely glorious. It's a couple of teenage geniuses basically remaking Evil Dead 2 with more gore and more gags. And rather than it being, you know, 80 minutes long, 90 minutes long, they've squeezed it into an hour. So uh, it's all killer and no filler. And just so, so much giddy fun. Uh, It doesn't just take place in a cabin in the woods. It goes to several locations, saving the most impressive and possibly funniest for last. Uh, It is brilliant shot on video, DIY madness and slaughter day, despite the, the, you know, very basic quality of the Blu-ray. And, you know, it won't be a problem for some people. I watch VHS all day long for VHS Quest, but I don't know. There's something about this film and it making the leap from VHS to Blu-ray that I really wish that someone was prepared to take more care and like really kind of celebrate this film by giving it a loving remaster because I think it probably would have spread a bit further than it than it has um, but anyway Slaughter Day wonderful wonderful very entertaining I recommend it and if the person responsible for this disc is listening to this right now I'm sorry no offense but just maybe next time, just do a little, little bit, <laughs> just a bit. Um, yeah, Slaughter Day is great. And, you know, again, kudos to the person who put it out for finding it in the first place and, and actually putting it out. But, but still, anyway, we're going to move on from that because I don't want to complain too much. Um, <laughs> what's first from you, Dan? My first one is another tiny little indie film starring its writer and director, writers and director, um it's uh it's the civil dead have you seen this sam i haven't no 
Oh, it's lovely mumblecore horror, Sam. Oh, wonderful. It's lovely. A lazy piece of shit artist <laughs> who just doesn't have any motivation has uh, has his girlfriend's gone away for the weekend and he's on his own and and he just wants to bum about and do nothing he's been given a few like minor jobs to do by his girlfriend but but for the most part he has no plan on really doing anything of use and then he runs into an old friend who he hasn't seen for absolutely ages and he can't get rid of him he won't fuck off (laughs) he just wants to do nothing and this guy won't leave him alone he's really clingy like now that they've seen each other for the first time in years and as the uh, as the film continues you realize that the reason his friend is clingy may be more than natural it's a comedy it's a it's a it's a horror comedy it's likely supernatural it's got a couple of moments of astonishingly dark astonishingly dark content but mostly it's sort of like that gentle like that solid wry chuckle mumblecore comedy vibe uh which i really enjoy it's uh it's clay tatum and whitmer thomas doing it it was made last year but it started festivals and stuff this year so it's really good oh that sounds perfect really excited about that and did you say it's called the civil dead yes so my my recommendation was you know basically a remake of evil dead 2 by a couple of kids in hawaii and your recommendation is a film whose title plays on Evil Dead, Civil Dead, yes. Evil Dead. So, ah, I like it. I love it when our, our recommendations line up completely accidentally. That's really nice. Yeah. Um, second from me, we'll see, you know, if this ties into anything in yours. Uh, it's a documentary called Something From Nothing, The Art of Rap. And if you love hip hop, this documentary features pretty much everyone you could possibly care about. Uh, from Cool Keith to Rakim, and they're all talking about how they craft their art. It's directed by Ice T, and he does all the interviews, which is probably why the access is so insane. It's just legend after legend after legend. And yeah, even if you're not a diehard hip hop head and you're just a lowly writer, there's still plenty to love here, as the advice really transcends the music and applies to any kind of writing. The way that Dr. Dre speaks about how he collaborates with people would apply to any kind of collaboration. Um, It's really great advice. Kind of reminded me of Rick Rubin in a way, Dr. Dre's kind of interview. Um, It's pretty profound and very applicable. And yeah, it kind of ends with Snoop Dogg giving his final thoughts on advice for any uh, upcoming rappers, which is truly beautiful and very very poetically said so yeah this is a really beautifully structured documentary it's some people have said that they feel like it's repetitive but you know i i didn't at all each interview starts with the artist kind of doing a freestyle rap to the camera before they talk about their their art and yeah i just loved it 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 felt like a, a comfort movie Uh, from the first time I watched it. So I really, really highly recommend it to any kind of artist. Something from nothing, the art of rap. I loved it. Dan, what's last from you this week? I'm going to recommend a little Netflix picture that I haven't really heard anyone talking about. So, you know, they don't advertise stuff very well. (laughs) So stuff just gets put out and then disappears again. Uh, I don't think they know how to run a business. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's called run rabbit run it stars sarah snook uh shot in australia i assume between episodes between seasons of succession directed by diana reed it's 
like a genuinely creepy little horror film about you know that bit in uh, the others where the little girl turns around and she's an old woman and she goes don't be silly i am your daughter yeah I- imagine if that was a feature film whoa that sounds um, creepy yeah it's really good like it's it's got some stuff in the setup that i don't feel was fully taken advantage of and it's not the strongest twist in the world which i suspect is why they're not like it doesn't have one of those like holy fuck moments but as far as the actual tension in it goes it's really fucking solid and i actually think that there's some really good lessons in like tonal horror in there for people who nowadays everyone just wants to do fucking jump scares and you know when jen and i went to see talk to me which i really enjoyed and the only reason i'm not recommending it is i feel like everyone's going to go and see that anyway went to see that in the cinema while up in sheffield for fear 2000 and i i noticed how many sort of horror trailers there were at the beginning like i think we've got a lot of like horrors creeping back into the mainstream again i think oh, we're getting definitely. a bit of that yeah yeah um and how they all look the same yeah like i feel like it's we've gotten back to that point where the bigger studios are getting back into horror and as soon as there's that much money at play risks aren't being taken in the same way and you start to see that homogenization of horror yeah and i'll probably watch most of them and i'll probably enjoy some of them a lot because you do still get like interesting stuff sneaking through you get like the barbie movie is a perfect example of something that is just like rank capitalism but someone somewhere along the line was creative enough that they managed to sneak through some quality and i think that that's harder and harder the more money's at stake because there are more and more people signing off on stuff so when you get little indie stuff and and that's why like you know australian pictures or spanish pictures or things that operate outside of the bigger realms it's just that the australian ones are in english so they're going to be like you know like more accessible to the english-speaking audiences but yeah i really i really recommend it i think it it does some smart stuff with the way it's directed does some smart stuff with tone and, and editing that um to put it above a lot of the other stuff that's around at the moment it's tough at the moment shay and i were in movie madness the other day and um she picked up a couple of films and they they sounded interesting but you know, I was like, yeah, but it's it's a modern horror. And I didn't need to say any more. And Shay just went, yeah, put them back. <laughs> um, yeah, there's just something about modern horror right now that is just really, really not connecting with me. But you're right, you know, there is stuff in these movies that, that does make them worthy of some attention. There's always a moment or two. But I've just really, really fallen out. Haven't even gone to see Talk To Me yet. Um, even though you'll like it. everyone's raving about it. I will? Okay, all right. I'll, yeah, I'll give like it a try. It. I'll give it a try. Yeah, it, it, it's difficult. I think you suffer from the same thing as me and probably a lot of our audience, which is when something gets too successful, yep. you're like, yeah, no, not for me then. Exactly. Me. Yeah, <laughs> but, but it is worth but no, it. I, I had a really good time with it. We went to it in the middle of the afternoon uh, because we had this like talk thing that we were going to on um, in the evening at quite a nice cinema in Sheffield. Hmm. Uh, it was relatively full i think jen and i had the back row to ourselves it was one of those ones that has like a sofa row at the back oh nice um uh and pleasantly surprised like a couple of legitimate but earned jumps like not not just like a cat in a fridge but like a proper like oh fuck moment a lot of fresh stuff in there like structurally Mm. still kind of the same as we're expecting i mean it's still you know it still had executive producers but but it it was it did interesting things and i liked where it went and how it went yeah i really enjoyed it i think i should maybe explain a little more about the the um what happened at movie madness because it wasn't just that like 
uh, it wasn't an American or a British horror film, it was a foreign film. And I only realised the year it was when Shay turned over the back and I saw the photos and I was like, oh no, this is a modern horror because they all look the fucking same. Um, and we checked the year and sure enough it was, so put it back and moved on. But I really shouldn't be to that level of bias where <laughs> just a, a colour grade on the back of a, a Blu-ray box puts me off. I really should try to be more open-minded because I might be missing out on cool stuff. So yeah, on that recommendation, we will definitely go and see Talk To Me and uh, I'll talk about it on the next episode, which we should say you're not going to be on because you're about to take one of your regular breaks from the pod um, I'm on the next one. Yeah, you're on the next one on the part of the I'm double the bill, birthday that. double bill. But then after that, you're taking a couple of episodes off. So it will be me and Shay again. And we don't know what we're doing, but it'll probably be something from the VHS era. So let's uh, move on to extra features, extra features, extra features. Extra features. My extra Nothing. feature. Well, no, I've got an extra feature. Ooh. It's that uh, there is a connection between what you recommended and what I recommended because you watch yours on Netflix and I watch mine on the Criterion channel. So they're both on streaming. Um, Criterion's doing like a hip hop uh, special event this month. So uh, it was in the mix in there. So there you go. An extra feature. The first one in, uh, well, actually, no, you did one uh, for the lighthouse, didn't you? So um, that was a terrible, terrible idea. All right, let's let's move on to how people can <laughs> follow us on the internet. Dan, how can people follow you? I'm at Thirteen Finger Effects on uh, Instagram and Twitter. While that rickety pile of trash is still standing, I am also on Blue Sky, uh, but I I don't know how the handles quite work. I think it's at Thirteen Finger dot B Sky. Um, but you can search for 13 Figure Effects and you'll find me. Awesome. For me, the best way to get me is still VHS Quest, which is patreon.com forward slash VHS Quest. And for $4 a month, you get four episodes a month. And they've been running between uh, 30 to 40 minutes recently. And if you sign up at the $10 level, then you get uh, copies of my films digitally, a little more flesh, a little more flesh too. And you get the opportunity to ask for your own personal recommendations based on the film of your choice. And uh, we just put up an episode where lovely, lovely patron Joe Higgins asked for recommendations based on Dinner in America. And uh, Shay and I oh, kind awesome. of went a bit nuts recommending <laughs> way more than uh, uh, what we normally promise. So um, lots of recommendations on that show. And I think we're up to like, I think we talked about 160, 170 films on VHS Quest by this point. So, so many recommendations if you want to hear about weird movies. Uh, cool. All right. Well, that's it for this week. Next time, we will both be back for The Way of the Dragon. And until then, thank you so much for listening. And we promise to be more professional next time. Next time. Woo. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>